If you've got your Bible and you're not there already, we're in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're coming towards the end of this letter. We've just got one week left next week. So we're just going to cover the last bit in chapter 4, and then we'll cover the whole of chapter 5 next week. And as I read verses 12 to 19 in a moment, it might feel like familiar ground. Peter is addressing an issue that he's already addressed three, maybe four times already, this issue of suffering. It feels like he's circling around again to really preach and teach and encourage the people that he's writing to across all of these different churches, encourage them in this moment of suffering. And we might be thinking, well, we've heard this before. Why is he coming around to it again? And simply the reason is because suffering is inevitable. We all, and I know and we know because we know the experiences that we are going through, suffering is on our doorstep. If we're Christians, we will suffer. We've seen that already in this letter already. It is inevitable for those who follow Jesus, but also it's inevitable for anyone. Just stepping into this world as a human is stepping into a world of brokenness, isn't it? Like, haven't we seen that even in our city this week? We live in a broken world with people who are broken, who have broken minds, who engage in things of destruction, but we cannot exclude ourselves from that. We are tainted by the brokenness of this world and every single one of us, whether we are followers of Christ or not, will suffer. In this passage that we have, just in these few verses, Peter just opens the door and shines a light on that reality once more. Before he signs off to these churches, you are going to suffer. But what he presents to them is, there are two roads that you can travel. It is inevitable, it is common, but there are two roads that you can travel on in terms of suffering. There is a way that you can suffer that is entirely hopeful and leads to glorious beauty. But there is also a type of suffering without hope that ends in judgment. Peter is going to encourage the churches that he is writing to and encourage us as we gather here, as God's word speaks to us, to take the road that looks like suffering now and glory later. And what does that look like for us? Well, let's read these verses together and we'll see. Chapter 4, started in verse 12. Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. You may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for 
all of the truth of who you are that we've already confessed, sung, prayed, discussed this afternoon. And Father, we thank you that there is more for us here. Thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you for the promise that comes to us that you will change us, that your word will do a work in us by the power of the Spirit. And we ask that that change will be to make us more like your son, draw us towards seeing more of him, stare our affections for him, and help us to be people as we see more of who he is, to trust him in every moment of our life, to trust him. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We depend on you. Do your work, we pray, for the glory of Jesus. It's in his name that we ask. Amen. As we read through just those few verses, I wonder if you saw those repeated themes, the repeated words. Suffering, Peter repeated four times. Glory, he repeated three times. He's trying to really teach those that he's writing to that these things go together. The suffering of the Christian and the glory of God go together. And just so we're we're clear what he's talking about, when he's talking about glory, he's talking about putting on display the beautiful character and the work of God. That's what it means to glorify God, to put on display the beautiful character and the work of God. And Peter is saying as he goes through that the Christian will suffer, but take heart, glory is just around the corner. Glory is coming. We will see Jesus for all that he is. We will meet him face to face and we will see in the brightest of colours, in every hue, the beauty and the glory of who he is. Suffering now, but glory later. Take heart, brothers and sisters. Endure. Don't think that your suffering now is wasted. Three encouragements that I think he gives us in this passage. The first one is this, that suffering has purpose. Take heart, endure, keep on, keeping on, look for glory that is coming. And the first encouragement that we have that helps us do that is to see that our suffering has a purpose. Did you see that first, actually, before we move on anywhere, the first word in the verses that we read. The first thing that Peter says to them as he moves on in this final encouragement and suffering, right at the start of verse 12, how does he address the churches? Let's read it together. What does he say? Beloved. So anything that comes after what Peter is saying is in the context of love, right? Beloved. Peter loves these churches. Like we don't just walk down the street and, and when we bump into someone we don't know, we don't call them beloved. We don't call our neighbours beloved. We, we call our family beloved. We call those who we really treasure and cherish and those who are dear to us beloved. Our family, our loved ones, those who are closest to us, they're the people that we love and cherish and call beloved. And Peter's saying, church, I love you. And by extension, because we believe God is speaking to us through his word this afternoon, if you are in the family of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, hear that. If that is the only thing you take away from, that, from this afternoon, wonderful. God loves you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he says to you this afternoon, you are my beloved. And put that into the context of all that we know we are and all that we know we have done this week and all that we know that we have done to prove ourselves not worthy of that love and still he says to you this afternoon I love you you're my beloved 
I hope you will take more than that this afternoon because I've still got loads of notes left. But actually, it helps build a bit of a context because wherever Peter says and goes on to say now, whatever God by the Holy Spirit says to us now is in a context of a God who loves us. He's not against us. He doesn't want us to sit there in suffering and pain and anguish and, and be over here. He loves us. God loves us. He is a father who loves us. And like a loving father would, he says in verse 12, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes. He's being honest with us. He's not pretending that life's going to be okay. He's not pretending that as soon as you start following Jesus, everything will be all right. He's saying, no, don't be surprised when it comes. Don't think it's strange when suffering happens. That's what a loving father does. I remember when I was a child and before I would go to the dentist, especially when I was really young, my dad would sit me down and explain what was going to happen. So that when I didn't go into that room, when I went into that room, I wasn't freaked out by all the noises and the the funny looking people dressed up and and all these different instruments. I knew what was coming because my God, my father loved me and was honest with me. And let me just, just as a complete aside, fathers, that is a good way to love your children. Don't think that sheltering them from things that might harm them and and not telling them about things that are in the world that could harm them is a way to love them. Actually, a good way to love our children is to be honest with them, appropriately honest. Like we don't tell our two-year-olds or everything that's out there. But we also don't think that it's good for them all the way through their growing life to shield them from the truth that is out there. A good thing is to be honest with them and prepare them for the truth that is coming, which is life is going to be hard. We will engage in suffering. And so God is honest with us. Don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange when suffering lands at your door. And that is true whether we're Christians or we're not. Suffering is coming if it isn't here already. You know, one of the reasons I think that COVID has hit us emotionally and mentally and physically so hard is because we've actually become accustomed, so accustomed to being comfortable. And actually we've been able to pay our way out of suffering as a people in the, in the culture that we live. And the truth is that just isn't our reality as human beings. We will suffer and the Bible is real about it. You know, back in the 50s, this kind of health, wealth and prosperity movement kicked off. You'll, you'll have heard of it. And people who claim to be gospel preachers would stand up and say, if you have enough faith, then, then you will have all the money that you need, all the, the wealth that you need, all the health that you need. And that just, do you know how we know that isn't true? Well, one, because the Bible doesn't say it at all. And secondly, the people who stood up in the 50s and said that, where are they now? Dead. (laughs) Like, surely that's the ultimate bad health that you can get, being dead. It just doesn't work. The Bible is real. It is honest with us. Suffering will come. But the hope in what we've just read is that Christians have a unique perspective in it. It will be hard, it will be painful, it will be long for many of us. But our suffering is not random and it is not pointless. See again in verse 12, Peter talks about suffering being this fiery trial. And that should maybe just spark some memories for us. Back in chapter 1, verses 6 and 9, he talked back there about suffering being this, this uh, kind of process of, of refinement. So remember, he talked about gold and silver being refined. And actually, we as God's children are more precious than gold and silver. And in our suffering, God is doing something. He is purging us of, of the things that aren't helpful to us. He is, he is chipping off sin. He is refining us. He is purifying 
Peter is reminding us here that God has a purpose in our suffering to bring about a glorious renewal. Anyone want that? Anyone want to be more like Jesus? Yeah. Anyone want to be more pure? Yeah. And God is saying, that is what I am doing in the midst of suffering. I am refining you. I am purifying you. And look right down at verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Now, I know this is heavy. And we could go on a right rabbit trail here talking about whether God causes suffering or not. But we need to see here that the suffering that we are engaged in, God knows about it. And it is, it is his will to use that suffering to bring about a glorious renewal. So whatever suffering that you are engaged in this afternoon, maybe we can even just take a moment. Where there is pain, where there is loss, where there is anxiety, where there is loneliness, where there is depression, where there is embarrassment for standing up and living the Christian life. See that your father is purifying you. He's refining you. Your suffering is not wasted. The question is, will you trust him? Will you trust that he has a glorious purpose for your suffering? The second encouragement we have is that our suffering leads to joy. So in verse 12, he says, don't be surprised. It's coming. Don't think that it's strange. It's coming. But in verse 13, but rejoice. Don't be surprised with suffering, but rejoice. Now that sounds slightly crazy, doesn't it? Like paradoxical, like suffering and joy. They don't don't feel like they should be things that that go easily together. And especially when we walk out these doors to talk in those ways, it sounds completely countercultural. But they do go together. Suffering and joy do go together. Maybe part of the reason why we struggle to see how they can go together is maybe because we're equating joy with just being happy. Now, there is a sense of, of being joyful, like there is a happiness with that, but, but we can't say that they're both exactly the same thing. Happiness relates to a particular circumstance, whereas joy relates to a particular promise. That's a good way to see the difference. Happiness relates to circumstance. Joy relates to promise. So here's a quick thought exercise. If I said to you, what are the happiest moments in your life? All of us would go back to particular circumstances, wouldn't we? Like, I don't know, a wedding day or, or a birthday or, or the birth of a child. I, I don't know, you go back to certain events that have happened. These are things that you could look on your calendar and say, this happened then. It's tied to circumstances. It's tied to, to things and dates and events that have happened But we cannot write on our calendar the times and the moments of joy. Like maybe we can can write the sense of happiness, but but being a people of joy, that isn't something where we can say, well, well, it was on this day. No. Our joy, maybe if we think more of it like, like this, it might help us. Our joy would be more like the air that we breathe. Or maybe the breath that we have. Like we don't sit down and write in our diary, dear diary, today I I breathed. That's not what we do. We just do it all the time, don't we? We breathe. We have to breathe. It's who we are as humans. Maybe we think joy is more like that. Joy is like breath. It's an unforced reality. And the air that we breathe in to help us breathe is the gospel. 
verse 13, Peter says, rejoice. But he helps us to see how we rejoice. He says, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If joy is our breath and the air that we breathe is the gospel, Peter is saying rejoice. As you remember Christ's sufferings, rejoice. And it is by those sufferings that Christ has endured that we will see Jesus in eternity face to face. Let that cause you joy. Let the truth of Jesus' sufferings cause you joy. What does he mean by that? Well, Jesus' death for sin, if you're a follower of Jesus, was your death for sin. And the Bible says Jesus suffered once. He's not going to suffer again, and you're not going to suffer again for your sin. And so all the beatings that Jesus endured on the cross, all of the torture that he endured on the cross, all of the agony, all of the anguish, all of the pain that he endured on the cross, all of the flogging that Jesus endured as he walked towards the cross, the scourging of his back, the nails that were hammered into his hands and his feet, the crown of thorns that were pushed into his brow, the shame that he endured, the guilt that he bore, the separation from the Father, If you're a follower of Christ, that was for you. His sufferings are yours. Or at least what you should have endured and you won't have to. The sufferings that Christ endured on the cross bring about a cleansing from sin. Forgiveness for your sins, they they make us righteous. They bring us into a right relationship with God. Three days later when Jesus rose from the grave... That meant that we could be declared not guilty of our sin. It meant we could receive the Holy Spirit, receive eternal inheritance. And all of that is promised, secured for you if you're a follower of Jesus. Peter is encouraging us in the midst of our suffering, look to the sufferings of Christ and allow that to cause you joy. As you see that he has suffered in the way that you will never have to suffer. Because he has dealt with your sin. And if you are struggling to find joy in your suffering, maybe you need to breathe in the gospel again. Maybe you need to breathe in remembrance of all that Christ has suffered for you. In our house this week, there's been a number of things that have unsettled us and caused us frustration and caused an element of of trial and suffering. And around the house this week, I've heard Elizabeth singing, Matthew 6, 33, seek your kingdom, seek your kingdom. And above our door in our bedroom, we've got written Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. I know she sent the songs to some of the, the ladies this week to encourage them. And we haven't got it right at all, but what we've tried to do in the midst of a difficult circumstance this week is have a gospel perspective is to kind of lift our heads up a little bit, not to ignore the suffering, but to lift our heads and to see the promises that are ours. Verse 13, that's what Peter's doing. He's saying, look forward. There is a day coming when your joy will be complete and you will see Jesus face to face. That's what he means about Jesus' glory being revealed. We will see him for who he is. On that day, our suffering will end our fears will be cast away our anxieties will have been quieted our tired bodies will have found rest our conflict resolved our diseases healed our bodies rested our depression lifted our questions answered our tears wiped away 
in the midst of your suffering, folks, if you're struggling to find joy, breathe in the gospel again. Breathe it in. More certain than the fact that suffering is coming, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that a day is coming when it won't. The question is, will you trust the Father in the midst of your suffering? Breathe in the gospel and find joy. Here's the third encouragement that we have as we engage in the reality of the suffering that we are in. We suffer for the glory of God. Verse 14, Peter said, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you're insulted, you're blessed because the spirit of God or the spirit of power rests on you. What Peter is helping us see here and what he's grounded here is in the midst of your suffering, God is with you. God identifies with you. That phrase, the spirit resting, like is that familiar to us? Have we, we heard that before as we kind of think back in scripture, this picture of the spirit resting? We see it back in Isaiah chapter 11 as Isaiah looks forward to the coming Messiah and he talks of one who will come as the root of Jesse, the the son of David. And Isaiah describes the Messiah coming and the spirit resting on him. And then in Matthew chapter 3 at Jesus' baptism, we see as Jesus comes out of the water, what does Matthew record? The Holy Spirit comes on him like a dove and rests on him. And then in Acts chapter 2, what a beautiful picture as the Holy Spirit comes in Pentecost and reaches out with, with tongues like fire. And how does Luke record it? It rests on them. What Peter is helping us see here is something truly profound, guys. As we suffer, God hasn't abandoned us. God hasn't left us. Far from it, he is so near. There is a special presence. There is a special power of God on you as you suffer. This is identifying, helping us to identify with God. God identifying with us and and giving us the assurance of God that he has not abandoned us in our suffering. Some of you might have heard of a lady called Helen Roosevelt. She was a, a missionary doctor back in the 1960s. And she went to Zaire in Africa, spent 20 years serving as a medical doctor out there. In 1964, there was a revolution and it it was bloody and it kind of separated out the country. And Helen Roosevelt and a lot of her colleagues got captured. And for five and a half months, they were tortured. And they went through and endured extreme suffering. And as she writes in her journal, she remembers this one evening where the suffering gets so intense She says to herself, God must have abandoned me. And then she writes this. She feels like God answers her cry with these words. 20 years ago, you asked me for the privilege of being a missionary. The privilege of being identified with me. This is it. And you want it? This is what it means. These are not your sufferings, they are mine. All I ask of you is the loan of your body. 
so tempting for us to think, folks, in the midst of suffering and pain that God has abandoned us. Helen Roosevelt helps us see there is that is far from true. He is near to us. If we are suffering, we bear the privilege of being identified with Christ. He has not left us. He owns our suffering. One of the most powerful things about this meal as we come to share it in a few moments is we can come with our pain, we can come with our suffering, we can come with our trials and we can come to one who knows, who relates, one who desires to own our suffering. In verse 16, we read this, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. In Peter's culture, and it's similar in our culture, suffering, suffering kind of bore an element of shame. You try and hide it. You try and prevent people from knowing that you're suffering. You don't want to show weakness to people around you, so you'd keep it behind closed doors. And Peter flips that on its head. saying, no, if you're suffering, don't be ashamed. If you're suffering, that is a, a, a place of honor. Your suffering as a Christian is an opportunity for God to be glorified. Remember, that is to put on the beauty of the character and the works of God. So Peter's like, don't, don't hide it. Show it. Live it out. Let people see. Show off his beauty. Now, as much as suffering now and glory later is true, we still get to see flashes of God's glory now. But it's in our weakness that God wants to work and he wants to show his love and bring his care and bring his provision and bring his strength. And these are all characteristics of God. And so in our suffering, folks, we can glorify God. We can show his goodness. I was speaking to someone this week who was telling me of a friend of theirs who's a teacher in their workplace, not a Christian, and their big hang-up with Christianity is that they can't reconcile how a supposedly good God would allow children to suffer. And that was the reason that she would reject Christianity. And my friend who's a Christian would um, just kind of encourage her with who God is and just live a Christian life in front of her. And and it transpired that uh, my friend's uh, daughter became really sick, like seriously ill. And over the years, as she's got progressively ill, her friend in school, this lady who had all these hang-ups, has been observing and watching. And watching how hopeful their lives are. And watching how they don't, they don't kind of run to grumbling and they don't run, run away from God and they don't kind of question God's goodness, but actually they run towards him. And they've been standing and, and witnessing the love of the church come round them, serving them, sacrificing for them. And they've stood and seen the joy that, that this family have as their child suffers. And it had such a profound effect on her. She began to come to church. And just a few months ago, my friend baptized this lady. She gave her life to Christ. Just this week, I was walking home from um, school with one of my neighbors. And he knows uh, what I do for uh, my job. And he was asking how the church has been getting on and and his impression was that we would have it all together, like COVID's been okay for us and we'd be kind of getting on. And I could just share just a little bit of the suffering and the trial that's going on in the life of our church. 
at the moment. And for 20 minutes, he took his daughter's bag home. So we had to walk back to school together and drop it off. But it was great because we had a 20 minute conversation. And me just sharing of how you've been stepping in and loving and serving and caring for different people in the life of the church. And he was quiet all the way that we walked home. We got to my front door and he turned to me and he said, Neil, it doesn't sound like a church. It sounds more like a family. See, folks, suffering presents a unique opportunity to show off the beauty of God, to glorify him. Will you trust him with your suffering? This is all leading somewhere, but before we get there, Peter throws in a warning. He wants us to be really clear that suffering because of sin is not the same as suffering for Jesus. So he's really clear in verse 15, if you're a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a meddler, you will suffer. There are consequences for your evil. If you're not a part of the family of God, then you need to know that and hear that. In verse 17, we see that the reality that everyone, every one of us will die and every one of us, whether we're a Christian or not, will stand before God in judgment. Even the household of God, he says. So even us Christians, if you are a believer, you will stand before God. But the hope for us, the hope for the Christian in verse 18 is that in that moment, as we are standing in judgment, how are we seen? Righteous. And what will we receive? Salvation. Because we will bear the name of not guilty over us. Because Christ has already suffered for our sins. But that will not be the case for the ungodly and for the sinner. Godly meaning those who don't identify with God as his children, those who can't call him father. The judgment on you on that day will be guilty. Peter pleads with the church and I plead with us this afternoon, don't let that be you. Put your trust in Jesus. Where is all this leading? Verse 19, let me read it to us again. Therefore, In light of everything that Peter has said, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If you underline in your Bible or highlight on your app, underline and highlight that. That is like the summary verse for this whole letter. If Peter could say one thing, it would be that. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Where there is pain amongst us this afternoon that is unresolved, continue to do good and trust. Where there is frustration with the suffering that we are engaged in, trust. Where we are struggling to see the purpose of God in our suffering, we trust. Where we are struggling to know joy in the midst of suffering, trust where we are struggling to see the glory of God in our suffering we trust why because he is a faithful creator and it's so interesting that Peter chooses to use that as as the name for God creator what's he doing what do we think when we think of God as our creator he's eternal he's been there from the beginning And so his faithfulness is eternal. His faithfulness has been there from the beginning. 
He has never faltered on any of his promises. He has always proven himself to be faithful right from the beginning and for all eternity. So trust him. With all of your suffering, trust him. He has purpose. He has joy. And he longs to be glorified in the midst of our pain. Brothers and sisters, we are not alone as we suffer. We have the loving care of our Father, who is a faithful God.